Somebody asked me if I was nervous. <laughs> I said, no. Then I got thinking about it. Yes, I am, I think. <laughs> I wasn't until you. <laughs> what I'm a little bit nervous about is that I'm going to share with you um, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. Alfred asked uh, at prayer meeting uh, uh, Tuesday night, he said, what is the thing that you've learned, uh, the greatest thing you've learned in your years as a pastor? And uh, so I started thinking about that and immediately uh, came to mind uh, uh, my favorite passage of scripture. And, uh, but I said that it's actually... I didn't learn it, as it were, uh, during being a pastor. It was more confirmed being the truth of this passage while being a pastor. And it's, it's in John 15. Uh, and if you want to turn with me to it. What I, what I learned over these years... And it, it started as, a, as a, a young Christian. I came to Christ when I was in my first year of university and uh, went on a retreat with InterVarsity. And uh, the, the teaching was on what's called the, the holy of holies of the scriptures. Some, some call it that. And uh, it's John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And these... These are the words of Jesus just before he's crucified. So, you know, when somebody's dying, you know, you want to hear those last words. You listen carefully because they, they usually are very important. Although, depends on what was important in your life, I suppose. I heard the story of a fellow who ran a restaurant and... Uh, he was pretty successful at it, and, and he was passing away, and so he whispered for somebody to come close. He wanted to say something to them, and they leaned down real carefully and, and heard him say, slice the ham thin. <laughs> so as you live, sometimes is how, how you die, right? And what was really important to him was making a buck. And you do that by slicing the ham thin. <laughs> <laughs> but what was really important to Jesus was he was building a church. He was building a family. And um, these were the last words of Jesus to help them to understand who he was, who they were in him, and what he'd called them to do. And so in John 15, we are told that God is good. And uh, you might say, oh, yeah, yeah, come on. Tell us something new. The problem with that is that Many of us know in our heads, but a lot of us don't believe it. And so we have trouble really putting our lives into his hands. <clears throat> and early on, I was trying to sort out, as a young person, you know, why did I exist? What is my purpose? What, what is meaningful in life? Am I just some kind of biological robot or just some, an animal, another kind of animal? Is there, is there more to life than that? And I was convinced that there was a God and that somehow he had a plan for my life, but I didn't know how to connect with it. And while I was at university, and God had been bringing this together bit by bit, but it came to a point where I understood that Jesus was the way to connect with my Father in heaven. 
and that by being connected with him, I could find the purpose for my life. I could be the person I wanted to be. You know, most of us are not interested in just getting a few cheap thrills in life and then dying. We have this sense that we're made for more than that. You know, that's why our movies and our books, we all, you know, we, we value people that have, have uh, honor and, and love and courage and commitment and all those good values. And we all think, yes, yes, you know, and we cheer them on and we try to emulate them. And so I wanted that for my life. But when I looked into my heart of hearts, I realized that I really didn't have it in me. But I was promised that if I would connect up with Jesus, if I would abide in him, he would abide in me. And he would enable my life to bear good fruit, much fruit, and lasting fruit. And I believed it. I believed it with all my life. Now, this is before I was a pastor. Um, just to help you to understand the context of this passage and what I'm trying to talk about is um, I'm not planning on leaving. <laughs> I'm still going to be part of Chapel Ridge. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm retiring from the, the official position of being on staff as your pastor. But I'm not retiring from the calling of God on my life. And this call, I, I felt it when Jesus invited me to become one of the branches that would connect with him, the vine. And my life would, would count. And for the next nine years, I, ten years actually, I was involved in bearing fruit before I became a pastor. And now I'm stepping down from being on staff as a pastor, and my plan is continue to bear fruit. Amen. And I love the songs that you chose, Allison. Uh, you know, they seem to fit so well with what I feel I, I want to share. And that is that, that all of us can have this relationship with God. He knows us by name. He calls us by name. He invites us into this relationship with him. And whether you're a pastor or called to be electrician or a gardener or a, a stay-at-home mom or a businessman, whatever it is, we can serve God full-time. We can be abiding in the vine full-time. And we can bear fruit full-time. And so... When, when, Ray, you said this, felt like the Lord was saying, uh, the cloud is moving. I think that that's what you put it. And, and uh, I believe that. I sense that. Um, there's a change going on. And uh, it's sort of, maybe it's a little bit like, uh, maybe it's a little bit like Moses handing the baton to Joshua. The only thing is, uh, as Joshua was leading the people up into the promised land, uh, Moses didn't go in, go in with them, but I'm going to go in with you guys. <laughs> I'm going to be 
part of the church, doing the ministry that we all are called to do. And as, as we were singing and I was looking around, I, I could catch, catch in your faces that you meant this, that you were singing from your heart, that you desire to know God. You want to be fruitful for him. So let's look at John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. I like the word abide. It says in the NIV, remain. In the KJV, it says abide. I like the word abide because it sounds more relational. You know, you can remain in a house, and there can be not much relationship going on. But the word abide sounds to me like you're, you're dwelling with somebody. You're living with somebody. That's, there's a relationship going on. And so, so the word abide, I'm going to change it from a remain in me to abide in me. I'm just using the, the KJV term of it. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And just notice how often... In these 17 verses, that word abide or remain is mentioned. You can count, count it. We'll, we'll do a little contest afterwards, see how many got it right. Abide in me and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain or abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my Father's command. Love each other. Father, um, I feel a very um, unable to really... unpack, unfold these truths, Lord. And yet, your Holy Spirit can do that. And so, Lord, we invite you to come and open our eyes to understand what you're offering us. And that, Lord, you would help everyone here today to believe you and to abide in you. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought of a title for this message, and it's The King is Your Friend. And uh, sometimes we serve Jesus kind of a master-servant relationship. Certainly he is our Lord, certainly he is our master, certainly we are to obey him. But it's a love relationship that he's inviting us into, a friendship, actually. And uh, I remember, as a young Christian, saying to God, I know you as Lord. I'd like to know you as friend. And the reason I, I said that is because he offered it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have felt bold enough to, to say that to him unless he had offered it to me. And um, so I, I, I prayed that prayer. And perhaps today you're aware that your relationship with him is more of a servant-master relationship. You do things because you have to. You know that there are consequences if you don't obey God. The ultimate consequence is that you don't bear fruit, which is uh, really um, pretty serious. As we get away from the Lord, as we disobey him and, and choose to go our own way, we stop bearing fruit. And he says those branches would, are cut off and gathered up and thrown into the fire. And so you don't want that, and you know that God is good, and, you know, you want to be around him. But you don't really obey him and do what pleases him because you really like him and know that he likes you because you're friends. And that, my prayer is that somehow this message would stir up in you this desire to be friends with God and, and realizing that it's possible. See, I see this as a promise to me that I could, I could actually abide in him and he could abide in me and I could bear fruit. I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't want a life that just was wasted just on cheap thrills. Do my own thing. Now, Jesus starts off here, he says, I'm the true vine. You know, there are false vines. There's false vines out there saying, well, if you really want to be fulfilled, if you really want to be happy, if you want to have joy, then connect with this. Abide in this. You know, it might be thinking, if I had... If I was rich, if I had a lot of money, then I would really be satisfied, fulfilled. And so you set your heart at making money. We, need the, we know the classic Christmas story of Scrooge who did that and how, how empty that life was. And then there's some who say, you know what really turns my crank is I, I just... I love sex, and I just, I'm just going to get as much as I can. Mr. Hepburn was one of those kind of guys. Started the Playboy uh, magazine, etc. Then, then there's some who say, well, if I could just really be famous, well-known, popular, that would really means so much to me. And some go into the music industry or the entertainment industry or, or some, some feel, well, if I could just do research and really m make that great discovery, you know, everybody would say, wow. And so some, some people have actually sold their soul and stole somebody else's 
discovery so that they could be recognized for it and everybody say, wow, isn't he wonderful? Some people think, well, the way to really be happy is to do your own thing. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Nobody's telling me what to do. That's a lie, too. You see, Satan is a liar, and he's a father of lies. And he has power. And he's called the prince of this world, and he is controlling you and I when we give in to our own lusts, our own desires. John sums them up as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things, he said, that, that Satan actually controls you and I with. And I don't want to be chained to those things. And the promise was that through Jesus, I could be a free man. He says, apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I realized that. I, I really did. I, I knew my heart of hearts. I knew that I couldn't love the way I saw Jesus love. Now, to me, that is a man. That is a hero. That's somebody worth emulating. It's Jesus. And I wanted to be like him. But I knew I couldn't do it in my own strength. But he offered me the opportunity of having this relationship where I would abide in him and he would abide in me and bear fruit. And so this, this relationship, there's, involves dependence. It involves this abiding, I should say, involves dependence and a relationship with him. And it also involves knowing the word of God. Early as a Christian, I, I came to believe that this was the word of God. And I was going to bet my life on it. It took a while. When I, was, when I was just a teenager, I can remember standing up in some church function in the, in the parish hall and saying, this is no more inspired than Shakespeare, so what's the big deal? Well, I hadn't really started reading it, so you know how it goes. <laughs> and then one day I decided I wanted to know who Jesus was and that this was the best place to find that answers to that. And eventually I did start reading it. I read the Gospel of John. And I began to realize that Jesus was the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he believed in this book. So I had a choice. Was I smarter than him? I used to say that to my professors. I have a choice between believing what you have to say and what you believe and what the, the different theologians that you quote and what Jesus had to say and the apostles had to say and the prophets had to say. I'm, I'm taking this, I said. And so I began to study it and read it. And, and this was, this is my, this is my, my meat and potatoes was the, the word of God. And I, I, I had to fight for it. I can remember times I would try to have devotions and I, I just felt like I was, I was, I was in a battle. But as I said, no, I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to study this and I'm going to understand it. And this is what Jesus said in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, my Father's glory. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So it's, it's by knowing God this tells me about God, that I get to 
really learn how to abide in him. He said that, that the word of God, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The ultimate word, as it were, that enables me to abide in Jesus is the gospel. You cannot have a relationship with God without faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. We sang about it today. This, this is um, the, the, the plumb line of truth is Jesus. And the world wants to rage against this, this gospel. It's an offense. God has saying those who are hungry for the truth will come to believe that Jesus is my way of saving you, is my way of enabling you to enter the kingdom of heaven, enabling you to be bare fruit. And they were made clean by that word. They believed it. The other thing about abiding in the Lord is that it involves prayer. Just as we read here, as we get to know God through his word, we also understand what we can start praying for. It's a very big promise to say that whatever you ask, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's a huge promise. And I have been all my life pursuing that, trying to understand what that means. And one of the things I understand it to mean is that it's in relationship that I know what I could ask for. It's like having my own father and saying to my father, there's some things I know I would never ask my dad because it's, it's just, it, it just it's going to say no. And there's some things that I know for sure I could ask for that he's going to say yes to. And then there's some things I'm not too sure. And I have to kind of poke around a little bit. And I have to really let him know that this is very important to me. And, and so as we know God better, we can ask in that way. And so, again, abiding involves knowing the scriptures, but it also knows it involves praying. And if your prayer life is, is not very good, work at it. Say, God, I want to learn how to pray. The early disciples did. They said, teach us to pray. So you can do the same thing. Another thing about abiding in, in Jesus is that it involves obedience, faith-filled obedience. You know, we can learn all the things in the scriptures. We can pray all kinds of prayers, but if we don't obey him, then it's, it's futile. He says... As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. We need to know what the scriptures say and follow it, but also the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will guide us and as I sought the Lord, I felt the Lord lead me to do things that were unusual and risky. But they bared fruit. They bared, done bore. No, it, 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 fruit came out of that. <laughs> so, When we start to obey him, the result also is that we become friends with God. And uh, 
I'd like to go over just a few qualities of friendship and to help us to understand what it means to have this kind of relationship with Jesus. First of all, Jesus actually likes us. Now, sometimes, you know, we say, well, God loves you. Well, he has to sort of thing. You know, it's like your mother. She's got to love you. Uh, good or bad, uglier, beautiful, whatever. You've you got to love them. And there's that kind of love that God has for us. But this is something more. This is, this is something more intimate. This is where he likes you. You bring pleasure to him. We sometimes think God is sort of kind of unmoved by anything. But you read the scriptures, Jesus had a lot of emotion. And so does his father expressed in the scriptures. And so he actually likes us. And when I looked over my shoulder at you seen, and I looked at some of your faces and saw that you really meant this, it brought tears to my eyes. And I think it brings tears to Jesus' eyes because he knows it's not easy. He says, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They rejected me, they're going to reject you. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. And then die to yourself on that cross. And he's, he knows that that's not easy. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's, he's sweating blood over this. But when we do it, he says... That's my friend. That's my friend. I, uh, I remember a few years ago when I was in Kingston and we had invited Francis Frangipan to come and speak. And, and uh, just before he spoke, he didn't really know me. He said, Ken Roth, Ken Roth. He says, the king is your friend. The king is your friend. The king is your friend. It's really helpful to me because I was, you know, that was my great desire. And sometimes I wondered. And so he was saying, and he says, King David had these mighty men of valor. You know, remember the, the mighty men of valor? There's 30 of them and they could do great things. You know, they could go down in pits and wrestle with lions and, you know, all kinds of wonderful things. And, but then he says, but he had a friend named Hushai. Hushai was his friend. Now, you don't read about Hushai wrestling with lions or killing thousands or anything like that. He, he was just this friend of David. He ended up being a, a counselor. Actually, he was the one that God used to help David to escape being killed by his son, Absalom. Not because he was a great warrior, though. But what that said to me is that, that being a friend of God doesn't necessarily mean that you are super talented. The mighty men of valor that could slay the hundreds and thousands. And so if you're feeling like, you know, just, I'm just little me, well, join the club. <laughs> you can still be a friend of God. And that's more important than anything else. And he likes you. And you like him, I hope. And friends help each other. He cares about your needs more than even cares for the birds. And Linda and I have seen this over these years in ministry. God has blessed us way beyond what we expected. And then friends comfort each other. And I've seen Jesus comfort us even recently with Ariana's um, 
medical issues. I saw God comforting us through his people in wonderful ways. And then friends give counsel to each other. Well, I don't think I could give counsel to God. In fact, I know I couldn't, but he does promise me wisdom. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the counselor. And as I, as I chose to abide in him and develop that relationship with him, I saw God move mountains to help teach me about himself. You've heard me talk about my friend Jim. <laughs> and, and I was in a group. We had this, what we called the Jesus Rap, and there was young people uh, gathered together, uh, and, and Jim was a missionary, and he came this Sunday night to speak to us. There we were uh, sitting, I think, on the floor. There were maybe 70 or 80 of us, and, and, uh, and he spoke. Uh, he happened to be in town, and, and the pastor invited him to speak, and he spoke. And I, as I heard, listened to this man, he didn't even, didn't even have a grade 8 education. He was a hog farmer who felt the call of God to go and be a missionary in Senegal, Africa, back in the bush country, among the Basaris. And as I listened to him, I thought, I can't learn that in seminary. Now, I felt a call to be a pastor when I was about eight years of age. I never told anybody initially, but then, about when I was 15, I, I did share that with my parents, um, and I was a little embarrassed by it. But then I became a Christian, and I wasn't so sure anymore. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I will not do that until I get a bright green light from you. I just feel so incapable. You have to really make that clear. And so what I did is I just said, okay, I'm just going to do whatever God calls me to do, and, and got involved in reaching young people for Christ. So there I was sitting there, and he, here was this man who had six kids and had gone over there, and, and the Lord had taken care of him in such amazing ways. And I saw in him a love for God and a love for people that was very exceptional. And I said to myself, I couldn't learn from what, what I can learn from him in seminary. So, Lord, I'm willing to go to Senegal if, if that's where you want me to go. Well, the Lord didn't direct that way. Instead, he brought Jim back to London, and he became the pastor of this United Church that I was a part of, which is a miracle in itself. And I got to have him sit and teach me every week. I'd say, can you meet with me? I could ask you questions. And, and I could ask him... And I learned, I learned about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through Jim. I was so thankful for other, other mentors in my life. The university staff worker, Jackie, the pastor named David Mack. Uh, he counsels us. When we abide in him, he will teach you. He will teach you. He also will rebuke you. Friends rebuke each other. In Proverbs, it says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And Jesus said here, he says um, that he will prune us. The Father will prune us so that we can bear more fruit. Now, that is very painful stuff. Who likes that? But again, um, you go to a surgeon, you say, okay, go ahead, cut, because you know it's good for you. And don't be afraid of the knife. He welcomed the knife. Say, Lord, he, he's very, very kind. He's very patient. Sometimes he puts us under. It gives us anesthetic while we're getting cut. But whatever it is, he will enable us to be more fruitful. But will you invite him to do that? That's, that's really another step of freedom. You say, Lord... Whatever it takes. I want to be fruitful. You can take whatever you want. And you know, when difficulties come, 
you're able to see them with new eyes and you can see, oh, this is a blessing. This is how God wants to make me more of the person he wants me to be. And then, friends, protect each other. Jesus said the greatest act of love for someone else is to give our lives for them. And certainly Jesus did that for us. Question is, will we do it for him? Do you, do you love Jesus that much? I think personally, every single one is, needs to make that decision. Don't, don't wait and say, well, you know, if it ever comes to it where I have to make a sacrifice, you know, and, and you know, maybe I'll, I'll uh, be called by the, the police and, and they say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, we're going to kill you. Okay, something like that, right? That happens sometimes. Very seldom. This part of the world. But we need to make a decision long before that, long before that, that we're going to die to ourselves. We're going to die for Jesus. And friends, please each other. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we please him. And it's not just sort of like he's saying, I want my way. You got to do what I say. No, he's saying, this is what's good. I am good. Everything I touch is good. And if you want to be good, then line up with what I value. You know what the biggest commandment he gave us in that passage is? If we're going to love him, if we're going to abide in him, what is it? What does he say? What was that again? Yeah, exactly. Love each other as I have loved you. That's a bottom line. That's a bottom line of what it means to have abide in him. When I came to Chapel Ridge, I said, Lord, 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 the average... The average evangelical church, when it comes to loving each other, is average. Could you help us to be above average at least? So that, that we could be noted for that. People would say, you know, they, they love each other. And I hear that. I hear that. But I know we could grow a lot more, eh? There's so much more growing to do. He says, if you really love your friends, you're ready to lay down your life for each other. Wow. Are we ready to lay down our life for each other? Again, I, I was so, so touched by how people responded because of Ariana's need. And again, that's so particularly moving to me, not just because we were the receivers, but because it, it was evidence that you are growing in love. And then friends confide in each other. Jesus said that, that he no longer called them servants because he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. And you know, as we get closer to the heart of God, we understand what's really important to him and what his plan is, what his mission is. You know, when we talk about bearing fruit, there's, there's two dimensions to it. There's the, the relational part, and, and it's expressed in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Those are all relationship stuff. And so our relationship with God and our relationship with other people is the fruit that comes out of our lives. But then there's the missional fruit as well. Jesus is on a mission, and he has called us to, to join him in this mission, and that is to find that lost sheep and make a disciple out of him. And then, finally, uh, friends become co-laborers. You hear stories of guys fighting in a war in the trenches and 
front lines, they become very, very close because they, they got each other's backs. They're sharing common uh, difficulties. And um, when we put our hand to the plow, when we say, Lord, I am joining with you to go and reach the world for Christ, that means something to Jesus. You heard the story, perhaps, of Peter was leaving Rome. Persecution set in, and he was fleeing from Rome. And he met this man on the way uh, going into Rome, and uh, he realized that it was Jesus. And Jesus said, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm fleeing persecution. He says, I'm going in <laughs> into the city. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that we all have to stay in the city because there's, you know, it does talk about fleeing from persecution. That's all right. It's just a story. I don't even think it happened because <laughs> it's just a story to give a, make a point that uh, when we, we line ourselves up with Jesus to do the work of Jesus, then he, uh, there's, a, there's a closeness that develops between us. But, you know, the thing that's really important, we've got to be careful, is that we never let the mission become more important than the relationship. Um, I was just reading uh, Bruce Wilkinson's book on, on the vine, and uh, he talks about meeting different leaders who were very, very successful, and they, they kind of hit this glass ceiling where they crash and burn. And what is it? And what's happened is that when we start out, you know, uh, relationship with Jesus is more important than, than ministry because we're so weak at it. We're so poor at it, you see. So that's, you really focus on the relationship. And then as you do, you get more and more fruitful and things get better and you get develop your skills. And, 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 but sometimes then the, the ministry part begins to consume us because we're so successful at it. And we start to neglect our relationship with him. And so what happens is that we don't get satisfaction out of ministry like we do out of a relationship with Jesus. And that's always the bottom line. If you don't, if you don't see life that way, you become a slave to success. So... Jesus says, I, I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What is complete joy? Well, probably isn't always jumping up and down and, uh, like Tigger. <laughs> I, I think that there is this complete joy is there's this satisfaction about our life. That when you go to your grave, you can say, it is finished. I've, I've done what the Lord wanted me to do. I've lived for you, Lord. I remember one time we were singing Amazing Grace, I think it was. Either that or I was singing it in my head. And, and uh, and I pictured, I pictured there was this kind of like a castle. There were these big old stone walls and the gate opening. And, and, and we were marching in to those gates. Uh, and it, it was sort of like you've probably seen these war movies where the soldiers come in off the battle lines. And they're all, they're, you know, some of them are on crutches. Some are on stretchers. Some are helping the other along. And... They're all beaten up, but their heads are up. Their heads are held up high because they, they, they stuck with it. They fought through. They won the battle. And so I could see, as it's, it's the sound of amazing grace, I could see, see us walking in to heaven. And... Uh, that's the kind of joy I think he's promising. 
And I pray that that's the kind of joy you are looking for and find by abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You said that you chose us before we chose you. And we know our hearts, Lord. We know that it, no one comes to the Father except he's drawn, but you drew us, Lord. You drew us with love that we see in the face of Jesus. And Lord, you've opened up our eyes to see that he is life and he's the He's the, the vine that we need to be connected to if we're going to have fullness of joy. And uh, Lord, you know every heart here today. You know whether, where, whether, whether people have, have become friends with you or not. I pray, Lord, you would help each one here today to make that the goal of their life, is to be the friends friends of the king. Lord, we thank you that this is not an impossible dream. This is offered to every single one. It's not just for certain ones, for pastors, I guess. It's for all of us, Lord. Well, you, Lord, you know where each one of us is at and in that relationship. And I pray, Lord, you'd take us another step closer to you. That we bear much fruit than lasting fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. We're going to do something a little bit maybe different here at the moment. Just this is, this is not the end of Ken's ministry in any sense of the word, but in this moment of sharing his heart and his passion for us to know that we can be friends of God. This is the last time he's preaching under the guise of being a paid pastor here at Chapel Ridge, and he's stepping into maybe, I don't know what, we still work, we tried to think of a term we didn't come up with, maybe pastor at large, but it seems like he's just lurking, and I didn't know what that meant. But, but one of the things that maybe those who have been in ministry you'll understand, or maybe you won't, but one of the things that you have as a pastor is, is carrying a sense of, of a mantle, but also a burden for the church and for the people. And one of the things that that looks like is it looks like a Thursday night where you can't sleep because there's people on your mind, the church on your mind, the direction of the church on your mind, and, and it happens. And one of the things that we want to allow Ken to do is to, to step out from under that and let the Lord use him in his gifts for the next season. So I'm going to invite Ray, Ray Borg to come up, raise a wonderful man, a past, uh, an ordained minister as well, and he's going to pray over to help uh, Ken just step into the next section of ministry, of uh, what that means, and, and I'm just going to invite uh, Ray to do that. I'm going to lay, my, I'm gonna maybe invite the, the board, the, the board to come on up for this as well, to just to stand and lay hands, and, and if Linda, is Linda in the service here? Come on, Linda, come on, stand beside him, because just as much as this has been Ken's ministry here at this church, it's not been anything. I can only tell you the amount of times in staff meeting where Ken will say, you know what, I had an idea and I went to Linda and she set me right and we didn't do it. <laughs> so she, <laughs> so she's just as much a part of his ministry as this and it's as much her needing to be to allowed to say what's next for the Lord for this couple. So I'm going to hand it over here to Ray. I just... Um first wanted to say thank you very much for your labor of love. Yes. You know, the Ten Commandments talks about honoring your mother and father. I believe that applies for spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers as well. It's always important to know that there's a father and mother in the house. And uh, I want to thank you and honor you for your labor of love in the areas that we have all seen publicly. 
terms of teaching, discharging the word, you know, conducting marriages and funerals and all those aspects. But it's just as Pastor Luke was sharing, those things behind the scenes, those times when you agonize over the words that you'll speak, when you need to challenge, when you need to confront, those times when you lay awake praying, saying, Father, would you move in this situation? Those things we don't see, but as pastors, you carry that responsibility. And Ecclesiastes 3 talks about there's always a season. And we've entered into a season where there's a season of transition for the two of you, because I believe you minister together as a team. And so, as Pastor Luke was sharing, it had this sense that this is a time to break you free and cut you free of the responsibilities and the labors, the mantle that you have carried, so that you can begin to move out in the new assignments that the Lord has for you. And um, there were three pictures that came to mind as I was seeking the Lord about this, particularly for you, Ken. There were these three objects that were in your hands. First of all, the first one was a trowel. For those of you who don't know what a trowel is, but somebody who's into concrete work will use a trowel to put the cement down in between bricks and use the point to uh, smooth off the excess. It represents being a laborer and being part of building, which you know very much as a pastor laboring here and doing that. The second thing was a trumpet. And as you blew the trumpet, it was a call, a clarion call, a summoning. And I believe that has to do with your responsibilities within the denomination, bringing them to a place of prayer and summoning the pastors and leadership into that new place. And the other object I saw was the sword. And you know, as an intercessor, that represents battling and the anointing of the word to be able to um, accomplish God's purposes and plans. And so... Um, the other thing that came to mind were these words from Joshua. And I, there's three verses that were on my heart particularly. Only be strong and very courageous, Ken and Linda, that you may observe to do according to all the law which the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to your right hand or to your left hand, that you may go forward and prosper in all that you do. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, as he said to Moses. And then it says in verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I believe those are the Lord's words to you in this season as you transition. So, Father, we come. And we come around, Pastor Ken and Linda, Lord, in this season in transition. Father, we thank you for the anointing and the mantle that they have carried in this house. And we recognize and affirm, Lord, that they continue to be spiritual mothers and fathers, Lord, in this place. Father, as they minister here amongst us, Lord, as they minister into the community, as they minister around the globe, we thank you for your anointing going forth with them. But, Father, we want to release them, that they would not carry the old season into the new season. But, Father, that there just be a cutting free for both of them, Father, from this assignment of pastoring in this house and carrying the weight and responsibilities, Lord, we just lift that yoke off of them right now in Jesus' name. Father, that they would would be freed and released by this house to go forth into all that you have next for them. And Father, we now take the oil and we anoint them, Father. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, that, Father, that you would come and you would anoint them a quick. Father, we anoint their feet, Lord. Your word says, Lord, that wherever they tread, Lord, that they would carry the presence of the Lord. Lovely are the feet of those who carry the good news. Father, for their hands, Lord. Father, that have been anointed to war, Father, on your behalf, to build and to labor. We just say thank you for that. Father, we want to release them as a body into all that you have for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring down every mountain, you would raise up every valley, that you would make straight the path, that you would remove the stubble for them, the obstacles. Father, that there would be provision for them to do all that you speak to their heart to do. And Father, we just bless and affirm them in this season and the gifting you've given to them. And we just thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you.
Why don't you stand and we're going to sing, I'm a friend of God.